Father, we just thank you tonight. We ask that the Spirit would enlighten the eyes of our understanding, that the Spirit of wisdom and revelation would touch our hearts. Father, we thank you tonight that we would be rooted and grounded in love, that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. We thank you that tonight that we would begin to be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, the height, to know the love of Christ, which surpasses all understanding, that we may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that's at work within us. To him be glory in the church to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thank you so much, Evan. Can we thank the worship team again? They were drinking the Jesus juice tonight, I'll tell you that. We were, we were in, and we're still there, and we, gotta, we have to steward what the Lord does. Please don't disengage that this is, this is just a, as much important having doctrine and theology spoken over our hearts just as the songs were sung over the body. I encourage you, take notes. If you don't bring a notepad, take notes on your phone, but just make sure you don't check Facebook or Instagram or whatever the cool kids are doing. It's definitely not Facebook. <laughs> Tonight, the, the message is very simple. It's a serve one another in love. Can we say that out loud? Serve one another in love. Oh, I, if you're not a part of one of our home groups and you have really felt kindred heart with what's happening at Gold Street, I encourage you, get involved with our home groups because even tonight has been so influenced by the life of Paul through our journey through the book of Acts. Oh, sometimes I think we, not sometimes, I, I want to put myself on the altar. When I really remind myself and I read what the patriarchs and the matriarchs, the price that they paid for us to have this book, the price that they paid to preach the gospel even when it wasn't politically correct, and it'll honestly never be politically correct. People died preaching this message. And even when they were told to stop, in Acts 14, even Paul was stoned to death and brought out of a city. And when he resurrected, they prayed for him. He went right back into the city and prayed the same message. And he didn't do it to be rebellious. He did it because he knew that there might be some Pauls in there because he was the one that originally was stoning people and holding the clothes of those that were stoning. And he's like, I got to go back in there and find out there might just be another one like me. And I want the way that he showed mercy on me. I want to show mercy on somebody else. I want to serve somebody in love. And when you think of Christianity, you find yourself that we look at Jesus on a cross 
and we're so thankful for freedom and liberty. But when Paul first saw what Christianity truly was, he saw Stephen, a man that was willing to be stoned to death. So Paul hears of a, a Christ, he hears of a, a, a Messiah that's willing to die on a cross and then he meets a man representing him who's willing to die for what he believes in. So Paul says, this must be Christianity. He never just heard a nice little message and said, oh, I'm just gonna come to the altar and everything's gonna better. His only idea of Christianity is dying for what you believe in. We're talking rough rider. I'm just, I'm using layman's terms so you understand that this gospel is not weak. This creates the strongest men of valor. This creates the most courageous women. When this message starts burning in your heart, it does something. And I, I, that's why I wanted to, us to come against distractions so much because I believe there's so many people in this room that the Lord has called to do great and money things right here in this sphere of our town. Like it's not about just getting on a plane. That's beautiful and that's awesome and that will happen. But there's so much that can happen right here in this city. But if we let distractions put the fire of the gospel out in our hearts, like we have to keep burning over this thing because that's the thing is we, ha we have to get possessed with the spirit of God. Not just get a, a touch. Not just get a, a nice little prayer at the altar to, you know, peps, you know, just put a pep in my step. No, I want flames to engulf me that I can't go, I can't get back in my car and just turn filth on. I can't just go home and just act like my life wasn't forever changed by hearing the price that was paid. So when I say serving one another in love, I'm not just talking merely about just holding the door open for somebody. Oh, that's beautiful. You'd be surprised how people don't even do that anymore. Just hold the door open for a woman walking showing courtesy because everybody's so busy and distracted. Can't serve anyone, can't create a platform for Jesus to be made known. So there's a few places. I have, I have landing spots, but we're in the air right now. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see where we land. Holy Spirit help. Right before we in order for us to serve one another in love, I just want to propose something to you all that I once again put myself on the altar. When I was preparing this for the past couple weeks, because this has been really burning in my heart, I'm trying to think like, how can I serve others more? How can I serve others more? And I just, I just, the Lord just keeps dealing with me about, I, you need to rejoice that you're saved. I know you're like, that's too simple. Like, what are you talking about? We don't realize how quickly we forget we're saved. <laughs> we were delivered out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. 
delivered out of darkness into marvelous light. That we were once not a people, but now we're the people of God. (laughs) The Bible says we were sons of disobedience. We were children of wrath, but God who is rich in mercy. (laughs) You see, I I could stay here the whole night and you you would realize I just need to hear somebody sing the gospel over my heart again. Because sometimes we're like, I'm just going through so much, Pastor. Could you just share it? I want to remind you, this is going to be over soon. (laughs) You're born again. You're saved. There's a glorious hope. (laughs) Do you realize that there are people that might be dealing with the same struggles as you are, but they're not saved? You're a witness that there's something bigger then what is happening here in this trivial, frivolous little world? (laughs) This earth is so irrelevant, he's creating a new one. It says that there's no sun or moon in the heavens because he lights it up. The sun and the moon only have one responsibility in heaven, bow. They don't have to shine anymore, they just have to bow. You did your service, you did your time. And that's the whole thing in this life. We're we're called to shine with our praises and glory. That's why when we're singing, you're one true living God, I just see the heart of God, the lighting, that these people aren't falling for the traps of the distractions of this world. I just wanna read to you 1 Peter 1, three through five. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy, (laughs) not according to how naughty or nice you were, according to his abundant mercy, he's begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. (laughs) We're all going to be raised. (laughs) Like, I think we've really got to get our hearts around this. I don't know if you've read this book, but it is crazy. (laughs) If you've only been hanging out in maybe a few of the the New Testament letters, which are crazy in themselves, I just want you to know you need the whole counsel. You need the whole word of God. It's revealing something way bigger. In verse four, it says, to an inheritance that's incorruptible. How many people are thankful that your inheritance is in cryptocurrency. That your inheritance isn't the stock market. That your inheritance isn't real estate. Your inheritance is incorruptible. Do you know how many people are in fear over markets crashing? Heaven's market doesn't crash. In fact, it's constantly a... Do you know even after we leave this life, if the Lord tarries, that our children and our children's children are going to continue to store up treasures in our account from our faithfulness. (laughs) That's why we need to invest in people, not just invest in houses and invest in things. People are, it's more like we'll be in heaven, we'll be in, in, in glory and our children, and our children's children, and our children's children, 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 storing up more and more treasures for us to lay at the feet of Jesus. This is way bigger. 
It's an incorruptible inheritance, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I want to encourage you that he's the one that saved you. If you feel like you're falling away from God in this room or you feel like you've really stumbled away, just remember He's the one that saved you, and he's the one that will carry you. It's time to lean into him like never before. It's time to trust in him like never before. I'm very big on, I'd rather talk, I, I, even in my own life, I'd rather be struggling with sin than numb to sin. Because once you're numb to sin, that means your heart has become completely hardened. If you realize there's a struggle, it means that your heart, the Holy Spirit is ministering to your heart to get to liberty and freedom and you need to ask him that I need your help Holy Spirit I need to put to death Romans 8 13 the deeds of the flesh by the sword of the spirit as we find in Ephesians 6 Psalm 66 16 David said can anybody relate to this when we're sharing of being thankful we're saved serving one another in love David says this in Psalm 66, 16. He says, come and hear all you who fear God and I will declare what he has done for my soul. <laughs> Does anybody feel that way? Like anybody that, anybody that knows him, just co come here, let me tell you. <laughs> let me hear what he did for you too. Let's, let's, let's charge each other up that there's something bigger. I look around the room and I hear the testimonies and your stories people in this room that whether you had a really checkered and sin-ridden past or you grew up your whole life and thought that you were morally sound but just didn't know the Lord, either way, it's a glorious story because he broke in. Amen. Galatians 5.13, for you brethren have been called to liberty did you, realize, did you know you've been called to freedom? You've been called to it. You've been called to liberty. Anybody that feels like a prisoner in their own mind, you are listening to the wrong voice. You are called to liberty. Only do not use the liberty as opportunity for the flesh. So this is very big. This is where we have to watch certain grace teaching. Because this is saying you do not use your liberty to go on sinning. You do not use your liberty in Christ. That is not representing the blood of Jesus by seeing how much you can get away with and still get to heaven. That does not preach the gospel. That is compromise. That is mixture. That is impure. That reveals that your heart is not tender but it has a lot of deception. And if that's ministering to you right now and you feel that pull, don't allow condemnation to sink in. Begin to say, Father, this is my night and you're reading my mail because you want me. You desire me. You love me. You treasure me. But if we're not going to use our liberty is an opportunity to flesh. It gives us an alternative. If there's people in this room that are struggling with sin, if there are people in this room that are struggling with selfishness, struggling with being distracted 
Paul gives us a way out right here. Are you ready for the instructions? So don't give liberty. Don't use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Maybe spiritual warfare isn't just being in a room and yelling a bunch of things. Not saying that that's not important. But maybe, maybe the greatest spiritual warfare is when we serve one another in love. Maybe it's the one thing that the enemy's banking that we won't do with a pure heart, but that we're doing with an agenda or a motive or to be seen or to be known rather than just serving one another in love. I want to call us into this tonight that I really, I'm really crying out that this body would be known for serving one another in love. And I'm putting myself on the altar to say that I am not in any way, I, I, I want to say I'm a toddler in this, that I need to grow up in, in serving you in love more. I want to pour myself out in love for my family more, but you are all my family. I want you to know that. You know, Jesus walked in the room, he was preaching, and it says his, his earthly family knocked on the door and said, hey, we need to talk with Jesus and Jesus. And they said, your family's waiting at the door. And he says, this is my family. The ones who he was ministering to that were listening to his words. Our relationships are a huge witness to his reality, to who he is. <laughs> there was something that we were saying in the home groups. I'm going to try to channel through this because I know where the Lord wants to take this. But in Romans 5, a little theology for you that we have, Paul lays a case out that there's a first Adam. The Bible starts out with a story with Adam and Eve, the first man that God created. Everybody say first Adam. So this man that God created from the dust, he gave him a responsibility. And he gave him a job before he gave him a wife. Just want to make sure. He gave him a responsibility before he gave him a wife. And his responsibility was to tend to the garden. Tend to the, everybody say tend the garden. So that was supposed to be how he was going to serve his God and to serve his bride was by tending that garden. That was his responsibility. Tend the garden. The Bible says in Romans 5 that there, this first Adam, that he failed. And before you point fingers at Adam, we all failed. We all failed. That's why we all have compassion and mercy for men and women who have failed because we have all failed. 
And that first Adam, he failed in tending the garden. But then we have the last Adam. And he is Jesus Christ. And what's really peculiar about him, in Genesis 3, we find that when Adam sinned and he fell with Eve, that God had to curse him. He was cursed because of his actions. And you know one of the curses? It was that he was going to have to sweat when he tended the garden from that time forward. He was going to have to sweat, and it said that the, the ground was cursed, and it said that there was going to be thorns and thickets now that were going to grow up. There was no thorns before the curse. And what's so amazing about this is that Adam failed in tending the garden and serving in love. But the very first time we hear that blood came out of Jesus' body is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what did he do? He sweat blood. He sweat blood. And the reason he did it in a garden is because he tended a garden. And he, he, the sweat that was on the curse of man, he represented man. And perfect blood oozed out of him. And it hit the soil that was cursed, hitting the hard hearts of our, the gardens of our heart to now produce that the fruit that's produced in our, in our life is no longer nourished and cultivated through the sweat of the curse, but through the blood of Jesus. And it also said there was thorns that were going to be. And what did Jesus have on his head? A crown of thorns. He wore the curse of man because they didn't serve one another, but decided to serve themselves by listening to the accusations, listening to another voice. I want to call us all into this, that Jesus, sweating blood, is showing us, inviting us into something. That in order for us to tend our garden, tend the gardens of our homes, this house, that it's going to require us to pour it all out. Amen. Serving one another is not just finding opportune time to serve. Romans 12 says, offer yourselves as living sacrifices. Is this, are you re is this registering? Keep coming with me. So we got... I got to share these. We share these at the home groups, but we got we to fire them out again. Paul, Paul's love for the church. Everybody said, Paul, Paul. loved the church. Oh, did he love the church? I, I want to read these scriptures to you. We read these Sunday, but I want to read them to you again because this is, in order for us to learn to serve one another, we're going to have to learn to taste grace the way Paul tasted it. The way Paul tasted grace produced a labor that is unparalleled. I'm telling you that in 2 Corinthians, and we've brought this scripture up a few times, this passage up a few times recently. I encourage you, I think you need to read 2 Corinthians once a week, uh, chapter 11 particularly. Just read it once a week, just to humble yourself. Because 
2 Corinthians chapter 11 is Paul opening up about all the things he suffered. I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten with rods. I've been scourged five times. That's a cat of nine tails being whipped. Sheets of glass and metal for preaching the gospel. He's been stoned to death. He's been, he suffered not having money at times. He suffered being all alone, being in prison. And then you get to verse 28. And when Paul could just be like, so that's why y'all should listen to me because you're a bunch of heathens. You know what he says? After all the things he suffered, in verse 28, he says, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily is my deep concern for all the churches. I want to ask you all, do you wake up in the morning and do you think about our body? Do you think about the body? Do you say, do you wake up and you, you see people's face in this body and you say, Lord, I just contend for God's best over that family right now. I pray for them. My deep concern is not my little situation going on at work. No, my deep concern is for my brother and sister because I know that when I serve them in love, Lord, you are good to take care of me. Paul did not consider his own life. He, did, he said, my life is not dear to myself. None of these things move me. All the things I suffer in that, this life, they don't move me because I'm moved by something else. I'm so moved and I'm telling you, I think we're missing something. And I, I humbly propose that. I want you to hear my heart. I believe we're missing this family element. And I believe we're, we're beginning to taste it. And I know some people even testify. They feel it. And I'm so thankful for that. But I want more. I know there's more. I know that, that the Lord is knitting us together to the, the, the place where it hurts to be apart. Where, where we desire to come into the room and to praise God. We don't desire to come into the room for a position. We don't desire to come into the room for an opportunity. We desire to come into the room to bless his name as a family. We come together to hear. Did, I want to hear the praise report. We prayed last week or we prayed last time. I want to hear what happened. When somebody in the church is suffering, we don't just say, I'm praying for you, but that we follow up. And not one person can do that. We do it together. We actually love one another. We serve one another in love. There's so many distractions and selfishnesses bearing down, and it causes to cripple our love for one another. But that doesn't, that's not where it stops. You know what Paul says in Galatians 4.19? He says, my little children from whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. You know what that means? It means that he's constantly praying that they would see the fullness of what Jesus paid for them. That's his prayer. He's not just finding out the specifics of what to pray. He's saying, I know what needs to be prayed. They need to see Christ. Because what does he pray in Ephesians? That Christ would dwell in their hearts, what? Through faith. It's a common theme. But Philippians 1.8, it says, For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affections of Jesus Christ. Do we long for one another? And I, 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 some of us, this is almost foreign, right? Because in Western culture, church is very much about how many people attended. 
instead of whose presence was missed. Because if we find our validation by how many people are in the room, it means that our heart's not moved by who's not there. When we're family, we know when somebody's not there. When we see an empty chair and we know some people might even sit in the same spots sometimes, whether it's in home group or whatever. Some, that's why some people, they, they might even think that I'm, I come across like in a way when I say, I, I missed you not being there. Like, I, I missed not seeing you because I want to see Christ formed in you more and more because it's, it's revealing his beauty to me. Amen? Long for each other with the affections of Christ. But then we have Philippians 4.1. It says, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Paul is saying that you're all my joy. Let it not be that we ever allow something to fester in our hearts that we don't desire to come to the fellowship because we don't want to see somebody. It's not about how you feel. It's about him getting what he deserves. That means that sometimes you got to confront because you can only conquer what you confront. And you have, to, you have to go after it. You have to deal with things. But it's about him getting what he deserves. And that's why we need to ask for this, this grace to long for one another. Paul is showing us my joy and my crown is you all. That's how we should feel for one another. There's people in this room, they, they probably sometimes might even think I'm annoying. Good. I'd rather be arrested by the Holy Spirit for being annoying than being cold. First Thessalonians 2, 7 through 8. Paul says, but we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. <laughs> Is there any moms in the room? Paul's not a mom. What gives him that right to say that? <laughs> this, is, this is so endearing because this is actually something from Isaiah that the father that he he loves the children like a nursing mother that Israel and Paul is saying that this is how I feel I, and, and this is this is why I don't know how and I, I say and I want to I want to once again I want to be humble in my posture in saying this I don't know how to share messages without first being like, I'm talking about like detonated by the reality of what he's saying. Like, there's been so, and I, I share this to those that desire to even minister more in their spheres. I cannot tell you, nothing has grieved my heart more than when I've shared a harsh word from a place of frustration and not from compassion. Nothing has grieved me more. Like, I have cried over misrepresenting his heart. And we have to have that for one another. And our, our emotions and our feelings, oh man, do they get in the way. Oh wow, 
when I'm reading what Paul is saying, I'm hearing a man say that I have surrendered and I am a conduit and the love of God flows through me and there's no hindrance of offense. There's no filter, a fickle feeling, but that I've laid my life down so his love can flow purely through me. I don't count my life dear to myself. There's a great price to love. That's why so few people are, why, why is the world restless? Why is the world unsatisfied and can't find contentment? They, they don't know true love. And Jesus said there's no greater love than one who's willing to lay down his life for his friends. Love is only seen one way, life laid down. That's why Adam had to fail. The cross was not God's backup plan. It was his first plan. When Adam fell, it was all part of the process to reveal that this glorious man is willing to lay down his life. This glorious man who was, the, the king of, of the universe was willing to hang on a cross between two thieves. Who is this man? Who is this man that not only knows our suffering, but desired and found pleasure in getting right in the middle of it? Buddha doesn't do that. Mohammed doesn't do that. Scientology aliens don't do that. My truth doesn't do that. My truth wants everybody else to lay their lives down for what I want. That's called the God of this world. It's the God of this age. We have to be watchful. Oh, Lord, help me. Verse 8 of that, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you, not only the gospel of God. You see, Paul wasn't saying, you're just a part of my itinerant ministry. You're just a part of my vocational preaching. He says, not only did we impart the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you have become dear to us. Paul is saying that this is not, I'm not okay with just you showing up and hearing me preach. I want to come to your house. I want to know what's going on with your marriage. I want to pray. I want to contend for your children. I want us to do this together to glorify him. That he gets what he deserves. This is when, this is when church all of a sudden becomes... I, actually, let me say this. This idea is offensive to our minds. TMI. Too much. It's too, too close. Like, this is offensive to be this in love with one another, to care this much. But this is, this is the gospel. And if we could just begin to inch our way more towards this through grace, let's go there. Our word, and as I was saying before, when we're sharing with one another, when we're loving on one another, before you just 
fly off the handle before certain things when you're feeling a certain way, our words are most potent when they are first baptized in the secret place. And what do I mean by that? Make sure you have intimate dialogue with God before you address your brother or sister that you are having a problem with. Before you address an issue, baptize your words in the secret place. It was funny, yesterday I was, we were ministering to a family and one of the things that the Lord placed on my heart to share was there was a comment made that you know, I know we're not supposed to question God. And I, I, I wanted to correct in love to say, actually, God wants you to ask questions. He just doesn't want you to ask them with the wrong motive. God, don't think you can't ask God questions. He wants dialogue. In fact, that's when he knows you're actually hungry. When people start asking, like, I love when people come up to me and say, that, that was awesome. Thank you for sharing that. But you know what I love even more? When somebody asks a question because they want to learn, they want to know, they want to go deeper in something. That's, that's precious. So I know I, this is where I want to take our final moments. I want to just read a few verses of humility to us. Can everybody, everybody should love humble pie. It should be delectable to the palate of our soul, right? We should love humble pie. We need to get a lot of humble verses in our, we love the conquering verses. We love, you know, we need to memorize some humble verses and wear them like crowns. And right before I read these verses, this is a little out of left field, but I want to read Isaiah 2 because it speaks of the day of the Lord. And we're talking about the return of Christ, but one of the things, did you know that the day of the Lord is going to be a great and a horrific day? It's a great day for those who have said yes to Jesus, and it's going to be a horrible day to those who rejected him. Is there's those in the room that you've seen the beauty of Jesus and you can't imagine saying no to him. Yet there are people, their whole lives are a big no to his beauty. In fact, there's some that spit on his beauty. There's some that mock his beauty. Do you know how much the father loves his son? Do you know the wrath that awaits those that don't bow their knee? In fact, God is so serious about bowing the knee, even those that didn't bow their knee on this earth, they'll have to bow their knee before eternal judgment. That's how serious it is. That's why we need the reverence of the Lord to remember. And Isaiah 2 is a moment where we have to realize that God hates pride so much. Can I, God hates pride. Like, if you sniff it, in the way you're speaking to someone, if you sniff it in the way that you are thinking about something, you have to kill it. That's not my words. This is, this is scripture that God, it's appalling to him. 
It needs to be done away with right away. This is not, you don't want pride on life support in your life. You want to pull the plug. You want to bury it. You don't want it in your life. I can't, I can't emphasize it enough. There are so many stories throughout the entire New Testament and Old Testament about judgment on pride. Like swift judgment. And in Isaiah 2, starting in verse 5, it says, O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. For you have forsaken your people, the house of Jacob, because they are filled with eastern ways. They are soothsayers like the Philistines, and they are pleased with the children of foreigners. Their land is also full of silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is also full of horses, and there is no end to their chariots. Their land is full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands. Does this sound familiar? That which their own fingers have made. People bow down and each man humbles himself. Therefore, do not forgive them. Watch. Enter into the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled. The haughtiness of men shall be bowed down and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. You see how serious the Lord is, that he's actually, he's coming to judge pride. Pride will be torn down. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty. This is why we need to be humble. We want to be low. We need to actually challenge each other if we even sense pride in one another. In love. Hey, Let's get low together. Let's serve one another in love so we don't use our liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty, upon everything lifted up, and it shall be brought low. Upon all the cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted up, and upon all the oaks of Bashan, upon all the mountains and upon all the hills that are lifted up, upon every high tower and upon every fortified wall, you see that all the things that people glorify in this world, all, and I'm even talking about whether it, it could seem even innocent, Mickey Mouse will fall. You see, we laugh about that, but this would be like goddess of Diana in Ephesus, that people had a whole town built around an idol. People have things built around statues, even in this land, in other countries. God is saying, I'm going to destroy it all. Everything that made, stole my glory, the glory of my son. You bowed your knee to the wicked things of this world. This is why we need to scream from the mountaintops, come to this man, come. There's only one way. We do it in love and compassion. But if we don't learn to love one another in here, how are we going to love them? We have to, it's like we have to practice love on one another. <laughs> we got to serve one another. Is this helping anybody? It says, and upon all the ships of Tarshish, and upon all the beautiful sloops, 
The loftiness of man shall be bowed down. The haughtiness of men shall be brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. He's repeating himself. But the idols he shall utterly abolish. How many people are thankful that there will be no idol in heaven? There will be nobody on their phone not looking at Jesus. There will be nobody that's worshiping trivial things. All of our attention will be on the Lamb because we endured to the end. He saved us. He called us out of this dark, but he called us for a purpose. And it's to demonstrate his love, to walk in his love. But it says they should, and let's just be real. We said this last week. Any, anybody that's married in this room knows that marriage is humbling. To truly love someone is the most humbling thing. We're not just talking about having nice feelings for somebody. We're talking about making a covenant that says, no matter, even on your worst day, I'm going to believe the best in you. I'm going to love you. And I know, you see, our minds even immediately go to all the reasons why that shouldn't be because the world has corrupted our minds. And I know that there are justifiable reasons. And you guys know that there are some situations. But if our minds immediately go there, it just goes to show that our minds immediately look for a way out. And I want us to contend for what is real. Jesus, his bride, put him on a cross. It's, 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 this love is insane. This love is foolish, but it confounds the wise. And it says, they shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth and from the terror of the Lord, the glory of his majesty, when he arises to shake the earth mightily, in that day a man will cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which they have made each for himself to worship the moles and the bats, to go into the clefts of the rocks and into the crags of the rugged rocks from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake the earth mightily. Watch this, sever yourselves from such a man whose breath is in his nostrils for of what account is he? This is, this is intense. This is us understanding that in the day of the Lord, what is coming, sometimes we hear so much encouragement that we do, I, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer that when we preach the love of God, if the love of God causes our revelation of the fear of the Lord to be compromised, we didn't preach the love of God right. But if we preach the fear of the Lord and people don't realize their love, that means we, we preach the fear of the Lord wrong. The, the, the attributes of God are to further illuminate the other ones, to help us advance in them, not to squander the other ones or make certain ones less important. It's his character. It's the attributes of God. Everyone say amen to that. So these verses I want to fire out to you. Proverbs 22, 4. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor in life. Luke 14, 11, out of Jesus' own mouth. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled and who humbles himself will be exalted. Do we believe the words of the master? Do we think we actually have to force our own exaltation? You just, you don't get it. They don't, they don't, they don't understand. Do we understand scripture? 
Because if we truly understand scripture and we honor this process and we see what happens in the Bible, how high can he exalt the humble, the low, the meek, the gentle? Psalm 25, nine, the humble he guides in justice, the humble he teaches his way. How many people want to learn the way of God? How many want to be an intern of God's? <laughs> it says he'll teach you if you're humble. How do I sign up for God's school? Humility. It's all you need. Humility. God says we can go a long way. Isaiah 66, one through two, Will was sharing this earlier. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? For all these things my hands has made and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one I look. So all his creation doesn't really cause him to come close, but it says, I take notice to him who is humble and of contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. How many people desire that God would notice you? Now, please hear my heart. You're, if you've given your life to Jesus, you are the apple of his eye, you are the treasure. But this is, this is speaking of a principle here. And you can't just take one scripture and then just say, oh, this scripture is irrelevant. This is saying that God is looking and he takes notice to those that are humble, that have a repentant spirit, that are, that, are, that, are, that are thankful that they've been called out of darkness and that they tremble at his word. When's the last time you opened your Bible and you cried? When's the last time you opened your Bible? You know what tremble means? It means you're shaking because you, you're waking up to the reality that this is true that this is real, that this isn't a game, that there is a God, there's one true living God, and this whole life, do you know how many people, their whole life, they're preparing for retirement? Their whole life, they're preparing for things in this world. I'm not saying that that's horrible, I'm not, I'm not trying, but what I, what I am saying is how much more should we be investing our whole life into that one moment we have to stand before him? And yes, it's all the blood of Jesus, hallelujah. But if you read the scriptures, your heart should burn for more than just getting there when he's entrusted you. Because some people would say, but look at the thief on the cross. Well, I bet if the thief on the cross could have lived longer, he would have been all over laboring going after it. We, we need to taste this in a real way. We, let us be a people that when we hear the word being taught, we say, Lord, humble me again. Let me look at what our example of humility is Jesus. Philippians 2, he humbled himself. What more do you need? What more invitation do we need? He came to this earth and he humbled himself. And he's asking us, do you find my son beautiful? Or do you think he just humbled himself so you could exalt yourself? 
Or is he actually saying that this is where true life is found? Maybe Jesus is on to something when he says, deny yourself so you may find your life. I heard a great, a great analogy from a minister. And he said, just think if you were in the ocean and you had a backpack full of gold and you're drowning and, and somebody is yelling, cut it out, let the weight go. But you're like, but I really want this gold and you're drowning. That's what people in this world are doing. We're telling them to let go of the things of this world. But they're like, no, it's so valuable. It's not valuable if you're dead in hell. The things that you're holding on to. The things that people hold on to in this life. We need to tell them it's not worth it. He's worth it. And he said, you're worth it. This is the gospel. Do you have one moment before we open the altar? Will you humble yourselves? Could you go to 2 Kings 5? I want to do this quick because I really want God to show off in this moment. This is, the, this is the challenge. This is the invitation right here. Whenever Anybody that's here that doesn't read the Bible often, first off, please start reading the Bible often. Rule of thumb, how do I study the Bible? Put Jesus in the middle of every scripture. How do I study I don't know where to start. Always look for Jesus. In the Old Testament, people are like, I just don't, I just don't, I don't get the Old Testament. Find Jesus. Look for Jesus in every story. And that's what we're going to do right here. Second Kings chapter five. We're speaking of humility. It says, now Naaman, a commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master. Because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor. Everybody say, a mighty man of valor. He was a commander of an army. He had all these accolades. But what does it say at the end of that verse? But he's a leper. We should all find ourselves in Naaman's story right here. Because sometimes we, we think we have all these things going for us in life. Well, I got this, I got this. But at the end, you have a disease and you're dying, your skin's falling off, your flesh is deteriorating. You have all these accolades, but you're a leper. This is a real thing that you see, what we're about to learn is humility here. Because when people have a lot of accolades, when people have a lot of things they can lean on, they won't acknowledge truths that they're they need a savior, that they need the Lord, that they need somebody. They need fellowship. They need community. Do you see pride in that? I don't need you. I don't need that. I don't need this because I'm, I'm this and I'm that. I've done this. Weren't we all there at one point? Maybe you're there tonight. And I say that in love because this is, this is God speaking to you, reaching out to you. 
And it says, and the Syrians had gone out on raids and they brought back a captive, a young girl from the land of Israel. And it says, she waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Just think about this. This man is a commander of an army, but he's gotten so desperate that he's going to listen to a little slave girl. You see, out of the mouth of babes, some of us need to humble ourselves. We even have to have a night where we just let the children lay hands on us and let the children prophesy. Let the children speak. We need to humble ourselves and not just think we're so, we got it all together. Amen? So you see, and it says, verse 5, the king of Syria said, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, this sounds like us packing our car up with our three kids. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, now be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Naaman my servant to you that you may heal him of his leprosy what is happening here you see he is thinking okay the reason I'm going to get healed or the reason it's going to happen is because I'm going to bring a big gift I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to earn my way and get all these things and this is what goes through in our heads and we got to learn that he gets there in verse 7. It says, when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, I, am I a God to kill and make alive? That this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy. Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Everyone say Elisha. So then Naaman went with his horses and chariot and he stood at the door of Elisha's house and Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, so what is the first thing we see here is Elisha doesn't even go himself. I'm a commander. I'm a man of valor. I have status and I drove a long way with a great gift. That man should come out to me. I want to talk to the pastor. I want to talk to, to the, the man of God. Elisha sends a messenger. What are we looking for? What again? We're looking for Jesus, right? Because remember when Jesus came to the earth, they didn't find him desirable. They didn't like the messengers. They didn't like the way he came. They wanted a Roman empire. They wanted somebody to come and, and change the political climate. And Jesus came to change hearts. As a suffering servant, sort of finish this out. And worship team, you can come up. Elisha sent the messenger him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord as God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. He had it all in his head. 
This is how it needs to go. I'm not humbling myself. That's what he was indirectly saying. But what he was saying, he envisioned how he wanted it to go. They're going to play a slow song. They're going to wave their hand. I'm going to bring my gift. Everybody's going to look at me and they're going to say, yeah, this is what he wanted. But God said, no, you're going to humble yourself because the only way to restoration is humility. Humbling ourselves to one another, humbling ourselves in this capacity that not only did he not like the messenger, he didn't like the instructions, but the promise was that he would be healed. The promise is you would be free. The promise is that your leprosy would be gone, but he doesn't like the messenger or the instructions. How many people want complete freedom for their life? Complete liberty, complete everything. I'm telling you, there's a road to humility ahead to truly see this. And what happens in verse 13 is a pinnacle here. It says, his servants came near and spoke to him and said, my father, the servants, does everybody see the servants are the ones speaking wisdom? Because those that serve one another in love is where we find. That's where we find his voice. When we're serving one another in love, and it says that his servants came near and spoke to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more than when he says to you, wash and be clean. Do you know why the servants were able to say that? Because they have to do what they're told all the time and they don't even get a reward. <laughs> his servants are like, he said that you would be healed if you just do what he says. We have to do what you say all the time. <laughs> right? This is why when we serve one another in love, we actually are able to see what other people aren't seeing because so many people are serving themselves that when you're serving one another in love, you're able to see things and you're able to help them and guide them. And that's what they do. And it's, what does it say? It says that he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan According to the saying of the man of God, his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. And it's the Jordan River. A dirty river. That the Messiah would come and be baptized in to serve us all. Not a glorious river, not a beautiful but a, a dirty river is where he came. And he's, he, he wants to serve you tonight because he says the greatest among all of you is the one that's a servant of all. Could our hard posture tonight be, God, I want to learn to serve my brothers and sisters in this room more. I want, I want this love that as we're preparing the way of the Lord, let our love become deeper. Let, let what Paul, his affections for the church become our affections for one another. Let people in this room no longer feel like they can't bring forward a struggle they're facing because they're embarrassed by it, but let them realize that they're sitting at the table with family. 
and he prepares a table in the presence of our enemies.